Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto. Today, we have two great guests. Later in the show, we'll be talking to the former Texas Railroad Commissioner, David Porter. But first, we're going to bring on our energy expert and associate editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, David, there is a lot of interesting things happening uh, in Texas politics as well as in um, uh, in D.C. pertaining to energy. But I, I want to start off by talking a little bit about, can you give us an update on what's happening at the Texas legislature and uh, anything that is uh, happening with the a couple of bills that might be out there pertaining to the Texas Railroad Commission and funding? Yeah, so, um, so things are looking really good for the Railroad Commission. You know, we've gotten past the the sunset review and then the commission will be re- renewed for another 12 years. Under Thank the same, goodness. Uh, there was a, a standalone bill that would have changed the name and that one's failed too. So good. It'll continue as the Texas Railroad Commission for another 12 years. Uh, the other thing that's very significant is a budget. And, you know, the commission has been underfunded for a long time. Um, now, both the House and the Senate have passed their versions of the budget bill. And, and both of them are looking really good for getting full funding, finally, to the Railroad Commission. And that'll allow the commission to, to create better salary parity for its employees uh, so that it can be more competitive in hiring uh, new employees and retaining employees, which has been a constant issue at the commission for many years. Uh, and it's going to help them uh, also upgrade their systems and create uh, an inspection an enforcement tracking or reporting system, which is will be a real positive for effective regulation. So um, that's all really good. It's going to turn out to be a, a really good uh, session for the Texas Railroad Commission. I cannot tell you how happy that makes me, considering that the Texas Railroad Commission is the single most, in my opinion, the single most important commission that is not just dealing with, you know, oil and gas and helping that you know, industry produce because we, we definitely benefit, right? 12 billion, 13 billion as a state, but also it is also responsible for ensuring the safety of the citizens. And so when we don't give this agency the tools that they need to keep up with with the modern day pay and society, uh, it really, you know, just kind of strangles or defeats the purpose of allowing them to do what they really do great. So that is good news to hear. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to me a little bit about what's going on in in Washington, D.C. or through the uh, Trump administration. Well, believe it or not, it's been a bit of a slow week for energy in, in the nation's capital. It's first, that is very been, surprising. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, so everybody's had a chance to catch their breath a little bit. But the president uh, did sign an executive order, uh, one executive order related to energy this week, uh, in, in which he is directing the Department of the Interior, which governs leasing for oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico uh, to do an inventory of all the uh, unleased blocks that are out there in the Gulf 
that are not currently leased and and to get together a full inventory complete list so that the government can hold a the first Gulf of Mexico wide lease sale ever held uh, this August. And it'll be so for those who don't know, the, the Interior Department has the U.S. Gulf of Mexico divided into five different zones, and, and it typically offers leases only in one zone, or maybe there's been a couple that have done two zones at a time. Uh, but this would be the first time it's, it's uh, ever offered leases across all zones in the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, it's part of a tropical course plan to stimulate domestic production uh, in the Gulf and onshore in the United States. So that's, you know, it's significant, uh, but, but otherwise fairly, fairly slow news week out of Washington. Well, that also sends a message to me, jobs, 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 high paying jobs. Um, and tell me a little bit about, there is uh, some new fracking or potential fracking going on in Alaska. Tell me a little bit about what's happening there. That's pretty exciting. It is. Well, potentially, it's, it could be very exciting. There's a company uh, called Accumulate Energy Alaska that uh, is about to perform the first hydraulic fracturing operation of the shale that is the source rock for the Prudhoe Bay field, the sandstone that has produced something like 14 billion barrels of oil since the 70s up there on the north slope of Alaska. And so no one has ever tested the shale that's underneath that sandstone, you know, to see how it flows and what its hydraulics might be. And so this will be, this this company is going into an existing and already existing vertical well uh, that's about 40 miles south of, of the main Prudhoe Bay facilities and is going to perform a frack job on it to see uh, how that stimulation treatment works in that shale. And if it's a success, and it, it, it has a good show of oil, then there's, there's potential for another boom up there on the North Slope uh, and another very large uh, quantity of oil that could be produced and sent down the already existing pipeline uh, to Seward for export, which would be, you know, a real positive for the state of Alaska and, and for the United States in terms of domestic supply. Very, very interesting times, especially considering that five years ago, uh, it was just uh, such a different story, and uh, we were not uh, reaping the benefits that we reap now in the way of taxes and, and just uh, having our own resources and, and not relying so much on uh, importing our energy needs. Um, just a totally different time. And so that's going to take me to, um, I want to briefly touch on an article that came out uh, discussing OPEC, uh, and I know that there is a a lot to unpack in that topic. And so I'm excited to announce that next week we're going to do an entire show on OPEC, the price of oil, where's it going, how does this work with uh, North American shell players as well. And so that you're going to be our guest for next week on the show. Um, and we're going to get prepared to explain everything pertaining to how OPEC and the United States are are dealing with this uh you know, access to energy and uh, drilling here in the United States that they have not seen uh, probably in, in close to 40 years. But uh, anything happening right now uh, that we can discuss on OPEC um, as far as um, what do you think the outlook is for them? Well, you know, they, as, as you, you just mentioned, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, the thing that's happened, you know, just recently was uh, – 
over the last weekend, the price of oil, uh, or week before last, dipped significantly when uh, the market became afraid that the Saudis uh, and uh, the Iraqis may not agree to extend their current uh, agreement to limit exports. Uh, that fear kind of diminished, and the price firmed up a little bit a few days later. But, uh, you know, it just keeps going back and forth. The market is always in turmoil, just depending on the latest thing the Saudis minister has said. And, um, you know, it, it just creates a lot of confusion and tension in the markets. But we'll uh, certainly talk about all of that and a lot more uh, in terms of how domestic producers have responded and, uh, you know, also a big piece of all of that is is how we're building out pipeline capacity to handle the increased production coming out of the Permian and other parts of the country. And um, all of that plays a role in determining what the price, uh, the global price of crude is going to be. And it's obvious uh, when the Saudis and, and the other OPEC countries two years ago decided to really dramatically increase production, they didn't, did not understand how strong and resilient uh, the U.S. shale industry really is. Exactly. Well, David, I am excited because um, we know that this is exactly what our listeners want to hear is what is going on with the United States versus what is going on with other countries in OPEC and how does this affect them. So I look forward to having you next week on the show so we can get everything out on the table and unpack everything. But for now, we do have to cut our time short. Look forward to having you on the show next week where we can discuss more about energy-related topics and OPEC. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the show today. We do have to take a quick break. When we return, our guest will be former Texas Railroad Commissioner David Porter. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We will be right back. Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656 and let's talk. 
The Kalig Auto Group has Ford and Ram trucks for your heavy-duty needs. We also carry Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, Jeep, even Lincoln and Lexus for your luxury needs, and we have an Audi store coming soon. So whether you need work trucks for your day-to-day -day business or a new Lincoln or Lexus for you personally, call me. My cell number is 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can always email me a bailey at kaligauto.com that's a bailey b-a-i-l-e-y at kalig k-a-h-l-i-g auto a-u-t-o dot com i look forward to seeing you down the road oil field experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. And we're back within the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today in studio in iHeart Studios here in Houston is... Uh, Commissioner Porter of the Texas Railroad Commission. David Porter, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. You know, you served as the Texas Railroad Commission for the last six years and recently decided not to rerun uh, and to uh, turn the page, if you will, and go on to the next great chapter in your life. But I know I, I'm interested. I'm sure all of our listeners are very interested Tell me a little bit about uh, your time at the Texas Railroad Commission. Some of the good things, and then, of course, we know that session is in play right now. There are some things up for debate pertaining to uh, the Texas Railroad Commission. Anything that's concerning you that we that you hope gets passed and completed this session? As you know, I went off the commission January in January. Uh, six years uh, among the highlights and, and the low points of the commission. First came in... Session started, sunset came up, we had a hard fight. There were a lot of people that wanted to abolish the Railroad Commission, the 2011 session, and actually... When you say abolish, do you mean like completely get rid of it and let someone else regulate oil and gas? They were going to start a new commission. They would have technically abolished the Railroad uh, Commission. Over a hundred-year-old commission that knows what they're doing, they wanted to abolish it. They wanted to abolish it and start a new commission with one commissioner. And the reason it got defeated is there are a number of programs that the EPA and the Mining Service have delegated to the Railroad Commission. And if the t commission had been technically abolished, then those programs would have had to been redelegated. The, those agencies would have had to look at them again and make the decision of whether they were going to let the state of Texas handle them or whether they were going to keep them at the federal level. So. I, most of the legislature realized that they were better off, particularly in 2011, keeping the Railroad Commission alive rather than letting the EPA have the chance to decide whether they were going to redelegate some programs to the state or not. And we fought that battle again in 2013, and they're fighting it again this session, 2017. I, I certainly hope that they end up passing the sunset for the Railroad Commission and passing a very clean bill, meaning not adding a whole bunch of stuff to it, just renewing the commission. I also hope that they give the commission the kind of budget they need this year to do the job that they're supposed to do. That's 
been a problem at the Railroad Commission for a while. Also, that 2011 session, they passed legislation where they made the Railroad Commission basically self-funding, which meant, particularly for the oil and gas division, that the money was being raised from fees on the industry, which is great when times are good and a lot of drilling's being done, a lot of fees are being issued, so there's plenty of or enough money in the agency to pay its expenses and do what it needs to be done. When things slow down, the permits aren't being issued near as numerously as they were during better times. Then money flow slowed down like, you know, the last couple of years when oil prices dropped as much as they did. And frankly, it's been a lot of hard work and some belt tightening to keep the ship running so to speak well my understanding is that uh, the house it's out of the house now the the uh, review of the texas railroad commission Um, there are a couple of things amendments that are added to it like seriously looking at the name change uh, but i think all in all it looks like uh, it will be well funded and it's it's moving its way to the senate the only thing that, you know, I, I, I worry about you and I've had this discussion is, uh, you know, you've discussed how expensive it is to do a name change. And obviously, when the Texas Railroad Commission was created, you know, 100 years ago or so, it was over railroads that no longer exist. But to change the name to maybe whatever it is, you know, Texas oil and gas regulators, you know, whatever it may be, uh, that would have a financial huge impact on the state to just change the name when when basically nothing else changes except the name. So while the name doesn't quite fit the agency, you know, I, I, I wonder if it's absolutely necessary to spend those dollars to change the name, considering that, you know, oil has finally come off of this really low period. And I think that there's probably other priorities at the Texas Railroad Commission than rebranding its name. Uh, but, you know, it's on its way to the Senate, and it looks like hopefully it's out of uh, – uh, it's on its way to being considered for taking the review of the Sunset Commission into consideration that hopefully this is once once overall put to, put to bed, right, where the Railroad Commission can function for, what, another 12 years before it's up for review from the Sunset right. Commission? Yeah. Kim, I hope you're right. There's one thing I learned in my six years in Austin – is it is never over when you're dealing with the legislation till it's over, till signy die in May and the governor signs the legislation. Because up until that time, things can happen and sometimes do happen. Right. Well, right now it's out of the House, but, but, but it, it, could, <laughs> it could possibly crash and burn in Senate or uh, any time in between that. Um, we've had a lot of uh, turbulence in these past couple of years. So well, tell us what oil and gas prices what have they done over the last year? Yeah, I think if you look at the last year, and I mean, one way we could look at it, we say, hey, 2016 was a great year for the oil and gas industry. We started out the year with oil prices in the mid-20s, and we ended up the year with them in the high to mid-50s. Oh, yes. What a jump. What so, a glorious so, jump for all of us in Texas. So we basically doubled oil prices in 2016. Now, if you take a little longer view, it's it's down. But but 16, th- that was a good year. And I think another thing that's interesting is look at the U.S. production during that period of time. January 2016, that's when oil prices were so low. Production was 9.2 million barrels a day. 
At the low point last year, production went down to 8.6 million barrels a day. December, the end of the year, that was when prices started tending back up the last two or three months of the year. Production already had backed up to 8.8 million barrels a day. This March, March last month, 9.1 million barrels a day. The EIA is projecting that we're going to add a half a million barrels of production today, this year in 17, which may be low because we've already added 0.3 million barrels per day in the first three months. So half a million barrels for the whole year is not a big stretch at all. And they're also projecting that by the end of 2018 that we're going to be at an all-time record high production for the U.S. And and that has some definite effects when we start talking about OPEC and pricing in the future. Well, David, great point. We do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We will be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and I'm in studio with the former Texas Railroad Commissioner, David Porter. Let's pick up the conversation that we were having before the break. I guess what I'm worried about is, okay, so this is all great news because it shows a price of oil going up or price for the barrel going up. It also shows a lot of activity in the United States, especially here in Texas. We know that there's a lot of large fines that have been occurring uh, in the Permian Basin. Eagle Ford is, is still got a lot, a lot of life left, 20 more years. It's got, you know, all kinds of activity going on throughout the whole state of Texas, but do we run the risk, um, kind of like uh, where OPEC, uh, you know, they they agreed to scale back? Um, how do you see that affecting us in in some sense of the word? Like, is this going to have? Are we going to be back in where we were a couple of years ago, where we were producing so much oil, we were flooding the market, and then on top of flooding the market, uh, OPEC was doing the same thing, and all these other countries and uh, are involved in OPEC, the cartel. So, are we going to come back to this anytime soon? What's your projection? I, I think that is a real serious question. And, you know, 2014, when prices started crashing from um, around 100 down downward, it was because Saudi Arabia decided they were losing too much market share. They wanted to run some of the low co- or the high cost producers out of the market. They really thought the high-cost producer was the American independent, the shale, the guys that were drilling the unconventional resources, the shale plays. They thought that's who they were going to run out of the market. What, what I, in my opinion, they really didn't take into account was how tough, efficient, hardworking, and effective at getting technology to work to lower their costs that the American oil and gas producer is. And I think we've seen that in that now we're back down in the low 50, high 40s, low 50s, and they're still, and they're still making, making a money. profit. 
we're we're down to break even depending on where you are in the Permian Basin for a lot of folks now it's from high 20s to maybe 40 Permian is a little bit I mean Eagleford is a little bit higher from maybe about 30 up into the mid 40s is kind of the break even depending on what part of that field you're in so they're still making they're making money right now at the prices that we've got and when Saudi Arabia made the production cuts with the other OPEC members and some non-OPEC members, prices, that's when prices started rising last fall. U.S. production just started ramping up as those prices went up. They're in a real conundrum, I think, OPEC is, particularly Saudi Arabia. If they cut production to keep prices up, U.S. production seems like it's going to continue to increase to take the profit share. So they're getting less money on what they're producing, less oil. I guess what, what I'm curious about is, so now OPEC has reacted. I think they blinked and they blinked a little too long and they saw that the U.S. energy producers can um, you know, jump up to the plate and swing, and they did, and they were successful. And so they're they are not stopping is the point because uh, the price of oil has not gone back up to a hundred dollars a barrel. But what is in the future here? What do you think the future holds for prices pertaining to oil and these u s. producers? And how do you think they interact with OPEC uh, here in the near future as well? Or do they? <laughs> what I think is real interesting, if you look back in March, Oil prices had gotten up into the low to mid-50s, and all of a sudden they backed off into the 40s. Right. And then people started, OPEC started saying, well, we're going to extend these production cuts on past the, the agreed time. And over the last few weeks, it's come back on up. I think today it was like 51, 50. I, I may be off a few cents on that, but it's it's come back up over, a little over, 51. over 50 because people are thinking that OPEC's going to continue to extend those cuts. But the fact that it takes the extension to get prices back up means that right now under current conditions we're pretty close to having more oil than we need on the world market right this minute. And I think it's, of course, when you talk about oil prices, and where so much of our oil comes from places, or the world's oil, not necessarily U.S. oil, but world oil comes from places like the Middle East and Africa that are subject to all sorts of civil unrest, warfare. I mean, there's always something unexpected that could happen that could shut off some oil from somewhere and spike prices. I right. think that's something we all realize. Or is, war. Is, it, yeah, a war is, is a real possibility when you talk about oil prices. But absent that happening, I think we're going to be in a band for the next two or three years, kind of oscillating up and down between probably low 40s to upper 50s and about in that range. And I, I, I think that that's probably my best prediction for the next couple of years. And with that, David, we have to take a real quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We will be right back. Empower Rural Texas and join the Texas Rural Challenge at the Waco Convention Center from June 29th through the 30th. Hosted by the UTSA Institute for Economic Development SBDC Rural Business Program, this is the largest state event of its kind. 
Engage in innovative presentations regarding small business leadership and community development or business plan competitions for Texas small business owners and college students. Join the challenge and register as an attendee, vendor, or sponsor at TexasRuralChallenge.org. Home to the prolific Permian Basin and Eagle Ford Plays, Texas is North America's most active oil-producing region, and its midstream operators handle millions of barrels of crude and cubic feet of natural gas every single day, which is why Heart Energy developed its annual Midstream Texas Conference and Exhibition, giving industry professionals a comprehensive look at midstream business activity from the state's premier shale plays to its massive Gulf Coast refining complexes. Join us at Midstream Texas May 23rd through the 24th, 2017 in Midland, Texas at the Midland County Horseshoe Arena. You can register for this great event at midstreamtexas.com. Once again, that's midstreamtexas.com. We'll see you there. Welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and I'm in studio with the former Texas Railroad Commissioner, David Porter. So, David. Peaks and valleys is for the foreseeable future for the next couple of years is what we'll see in oil and gas. Yeah, Peaks prices and get up over 50 and people will start drilling again in, in those areas. Um, for example, an interesting statistic, 2016, we talked about how much production dropped. Permian Basin actually increased Increase. production that year. It went from 1.9 million barrels a day to 2.1 million barrels a and day. And why was that? What what makes the geography so special when it comes down to Permian Basin? Um, it's just a real hot spot or a sweet spot, if you want to call it that. There's so many different horizons, levels of oil that uh, you, instead of having one or two horizons that they produced some from, there's parts of the Permian Basin that have five, six, or in rare cases, even more horizons that are oil-bearing rock that they can produce from. And I think that's part of the confusion uh, to, you know, the general population is, well, well, why are these prices fluctuating? And why does it, why did it flip-flop? Like Eagle Ford Shale had so many more rigs than Permian Basin, and now it almost seems to have flipped the other way. And and uh, understanding that, well, it really depends on how many different layers of, uh, of oil or natural gas is in that when they're drilling. And so I'm hearing you say that Permian Basin has four to five. So no matter where they drill, they're going to hit four or five different pockets, usually of something good in there, whether it's oil, natural gas, whatever it may be. And other shell plays typically don't offer those many different levels of different pockets of energy, correct? Yeah, you, you, you just, it, it's all about, well, partly about porosity and uh, how how good the levels are, but it's basically about footage, oversimplify footage of pay, and you have a lot more footage of pay both vertically as well as horizontally. And so it's the, a lot easier for them the to make Permian profit Basin. off of drilling in Permian Basin than drilling in an Eagle Ford or another shell plate. And, you know, also there's, we, we tend to talk about, because the show is, you know, located in Texas, but our podcast on our website, shellmag.com, covers all over the United States with different shell plays that, you know, there's there's all a whole bunch of different shell plays going on in the United States. It's not just the Permian Basin in Texas. And, of course, Permian Basin isn't the only one in Texas, and neither is Eagle Ford. There's many other little shell plays, too, that are just not as visible and as active. But the same thing applies with different shell plays in different areas of the United States. So there's uh, the Bakken, for example. And so there's other different areas that these energy producers are looking at to also drill. And there's other companies that are not necessarily here in Texas that are also drilling in those different shell play areas as well. Give me some of the more prominent shell plays that are on your radar but are here in North America. 
I think probably the the, mo the most prominent are there's three of them. There's the Bakken and basically in North Dakota, which is primarily an oil play. And the Bakken is partly because of where it's located as far north as it is, uh, climatic conditions. It's just a little higher cost uh, play to operate in and transportation costs for the crude are, are higher than it is here. So that makes it at least 5 to $10 per barrel cost higher in the Bakken than it is in the Permian Basin, for example. So it does put them at a little bit of an economic disadvantage vis-a-vis -vis the, the Permian and even the Eagleford. Uh, the other two big shell plays that are getting the most prominence right now are, of course, the Utica and the Marcellus in the eastern part of the United States. And those are primarily gas plays. And we've talked mainly about oil and gas situation and right now in, in the world. But if we wanted to talk about gas, I mean, we're, we're saying we're running pretty close to maybe being in an oversupply of oil right now, depending mm -hmm. on who you want to listen to. Well, in my opinion, we've really got more natural, a lot more natural gas than we have the market on. So the Marce people that are drilling, still drilling the Marcellus and the Utica because they are massive production, but the, the prices certainly could come up, especially if you're a natural gas producer. You'd love to see gas prices come up. Uh, the world's just got a lot of natural gas right now. I know it, when you talk about where we were 15 years ago, the world was going to run out of natural gas, and then you look at where natural gas prices are right now. That shows you how much of a real sea change the shale revolution was both for natural gas and then later on for oil. And where it really, you know, fits us as a community is uh, the understanding that natural gas is actually a, a, a gas that burns cleaner. It basically is a great resource to have. Utilities uh, utilize natural gas. Uh, we can move into uh, spots where providing natural gas to uh, some of our more friendlier countries are important to us, like Mexico, that has a great need for natural gas. So, you know, once, of course, the price rises enough to where it's economical for these companies to start, you know, moving this natural gas would be a good thing for, I think, for all of us. Uh, David, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired to the time they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your employees' health care needs. Health care that comes to you. 
Call 1-866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Hey, you, do you want to go to the fastest growing oil and gas mixer in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you got my attention, but what is Teak? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocate Coalition, and we hold free business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Is there a fee to join? Not for the next 90 days. It's completely free. So there's no charge to join, no charge to attend mixers, but we do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where do I go? You go to shellmag.com slash teak, T-E-A-C, and click the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. So let me write this down. That's S-H-A-L-E mag.com slash T-E-A-C. Yes. Well, that sounds good. I'll see you at the next mixer. Hey, 2016 is a great time to grow your business, and there is no time like the present to improve the awareness of your brand. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210 210- 2407188. Welcome back to In the Old Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and I'm in studio with the former Texas Railroad Commissioner, David Porter. I wanted to also switch gears a little bit and talk about, uh, you know, a couple of years back, or it seemed like a couple of years back, we had this huge uh, uh, fight going on between lifting an export oil ban that had been in place for over 40 years. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that. The most important thing that I think we've seen so far because of the export ban lifting, and I saw some statistics the other day that I thought were really interesting that bore this out. I don't know if you remember, but I, I know I was on your show several times. We talked about the ban over the last couple of years, and I made the point that one of the biggest benefits of lifting the export ban would be narrowing the spread between Brent and West Texas Intermediate. At one time, two or three years ago— Which is ago, the price of oil. on Yeah, which is the price the producers get. I mean, at one time, Brent, which is the North Sea oil— was getting ten, twelve, fifteen dollars a barrel more than West Texas Intermediate. And why was that? Just because they could? Well, mainly there are a lot of factors, but mainly because of the export barrier, we could not send that oil out of the country. So there was kind of a captive market that it had to be bought in the U.S. So refineries here were paying less money for the crude oil than they were Makes over, sense. overseas because they couldn't go overseas. Right. So the refineries were making huge margins for a while, two, three years ago. Well, as a result of repealing that um, spread, it, over the first year that it was repealed, narrowed from roughly $5 
a barrel to less than a dollar a barrel. So it narrowed $4 a barrel. And if you take Texas daily production, that's ra ra roughly rounding numbers now. That's better than $10 million a day of additional income to the Texas oil and gas community. That includes the producers, the royalty owners, and the state and government of entities that get percent of the of, of the take too, but that's that's an additional ten million dollars a day. A day, a, ten a million dollars a day, and a, we say that pertaining to the you know oil companies and the producers and our Texas legislators or into the state coffers, if you will. But it also provides jobs, high paying jobs, and that filter back out into the community. So it's a great opportunity for everyone here in Texas. No wonder we're seeing such a rise in jobs and looking for employment. It's been rising, but. Keep going. So, so that's the substantial benefit of it, and I, I think it just makes sense. I, I was looking at some figures that right now uh, total oil usage in the U.S. I believe is 19.6 million barrels a day. Uh, U.S. production is 9.1 million barrels a day. Wow. We're exporting 0.5 million barrels a day. And so we're importing the difference between those, which is a little over 10 million barrels a day. But it just makes it more efficient because um, you, you could say, well, why are we exporting half a million barrels a day if we're importing 10 million barrels a day plus? But, you know, sometimes a refinery can't use a certain grade right. of crude we, and right. you can send it somewhere else. Sometimes you're close. Right. We don't have the necessary the capacity yeah. to be able to to manage both of those different types of oils. We also now have a, a brand new administration. Uh, Trump seems to be very uh, pro-energy in the sense of understanding that energy provides, you know, jobs, high-paying jobs, uh, gets the economy uh, going and roaring. I want to ask you, though, your opinion on so far the Trump administration has come out with, a, with an executive order pertaining to energy. And what is your thoughts on the administration and, of course, the executive order and how do you see it impacting the energy sector? I'm very positive about what the Trump administration has been doing in the energy. One of the things they're doing, I think they're getting the EPA under control. They're wanting their their budget proposals were like cutting the EPA budget by thirty one percent. They are withdrawing and rewriting a two thousand fifteen rule that the BLM put in regulating hydraulic fracturing on public lands. They're, they're pulling back on a lot of these regulations that the Obama administration pushed through at the very last moment of their administration. And, and I think that's positive. But the real big deal, in my opinion, is, is, is a philosophical one. And I think this administration really believes that oil and gas regulation is one of those things that should be done at the state level and that's why you see a pulling back of, of federal regulation on it. They're, they're leaving this in the sphere of state regulation, which is what I argued for strongly the whole time I was on the Railroad Commission. Don't want to put words in people's minds, mouths, but I think the three Railroad Commissioners we have now would all strongly agree that uh, regulation of the oil and gas industry needs to be done at the state level where we definitely know oil yeah. because we've been doing it for over 100 years. Well, David, I'd like to thank you for coming in today into studio and talking to us and giving us an update 
uh, from your perspective. And we look forward to having you back on the show here in the near future. I appreciate that, Kim. I always enjoy being able to talk to your radio audience. Well, David, it was a pleasure having you in studio today. And as always, we look forward to having you come back and discuss more energy-related topics since you are such an expert on this matter. And congratulations, you are the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question at radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shalemag.com, and you will win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what is the name of the commission that David Porter served on? Remember to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you will win a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao Brazilian Steakhouse. That's going to wrap up another great show for us. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.